Praise the Lord. God is great. God is worthy to be praised. God is awesome. I know that the Lord has confirmed this message tonight um, through Sister Emma, through songs, through um, Brother Simon's prayer. So um, I would encourage you, uh, make sure that you hear the word of the Lord. Don't just, don't just say <laughs> that it's nothing, but this is the word of God to you tonight. In olden days, there were sailing ships, and well, we still have sailing ships today, but there were ships, and ships always had a destination. Uh, When you took a a ship out into the sea, there was always a place where they wanted to go, a, a course that they needed to take to actually get to where they needed to go. They didn't usually sail just for fun. It was for business, it was for work, it was to get somewhere where they needed to go. And so there's a, a phrase that came up and, and is, is referred to uh, sailing in the old days is to stay the course, to stay the course, to keep going in the direction that will get you to where you need to go, to stay on track, to stay on the same compass bearing, to stay following the course that has been laid before you to stay the course and not to deviate. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, we, Lord, are thankful, Lord, to be in your presence. We are thankful, Lord, to be in your house, Lord. We are thankful for your word, Lord Jesus, which is about, Lord, to be preached, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for the effect that it will have in our hearts, Lord, if we will listen, Lord, if we will open our hearts, if we will, Lord Jesus, allow you, Lord, to speak to us tonight. Lord Jesus, change hearts, change lives, Lord, change situations, Lord. Change, Lord, the way that we think, Lord Jesus. And, Lord, just do something awesome and mighty and powerful and wonderful in this place tonight, I pray in your name, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. If we could all turn to Exodus chapter 24, starting from verse 1. To those of you who are are doing the the bread um, Bible readings, uh, daily Bible readings, this will seem very familiar to you um, because we just read it um, this Friday. Exodus 24 and 1. And this is God talking, and he said unto Moses, Come up unto the, man, unto the Lord, thou and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said will we do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and built an altar under the hill and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people and they said, All that the Lord has said will we do and be Obedient. It was a time of consecration. It was a time of commitment to God. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. They made a covenant with God himself. Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. 
I tend to skim over this bit when I'm reading, but this was an incredible and mighty and powerful experience that they had. They saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel he laid not his hand. Also they saw God and did eat and drink. And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. And Moses rose up and his minister Joshua, and Moses went up into the mount of God. And he said unto the elders, Tarry ye here for us until we come again unto you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man have any matters to do, let him come unto them. So Moses said, I'm going to go away for a little bit. He set up the structure um, as he left. And Moses went up into the mount, and a cloud covered the mount. And the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. And Moses went up into, sorry, went into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. So God did something incredible, mighty and wonderful. He showed many signs and wonders. He talked to the leaders of the people of Israel. God had put a covenant with his people. And there was something mighty, awesome and wonderful that had happened in that place. See, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel had just had an incredible experience with God. They saw a manifestation of God himself, the invisible spirit that they had been following, and no one had seen face to face. It says that the nobles there saw God and did eat and drink, presumably with this manifestation of God himself. So they would have been talking with the creator of the universe and in effect having a feast with him. This was an incredible experience that they would have taken to their graves. An incredible and life-changing experience. They had seen him who was not able to be seen. They had come face to face with their God and lived. This was something to tell their children and their children's children and their children's children and so on and so forth. It was something that would stay with their generations to come from time to time to time down the lineage. It should have stayed with them for the rest of their lives and changed their actions and their approach to life. So what happened less than 40 days later? In Exodus 32 and 1, it says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, We want not what is become of him. We don't know what's become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and of your sons and of your daughters and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he made it a molten calf. And And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt." How could this have happened? And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. 
And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And that was committing all sorts of sin, that play. Adultery, fornication, everything that people did to worship their gods in those days. So what happened to Aaron, to Nadab, to Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel? 70 elders. It wasn't just one or two, it was 70 elders of Israel. When the people started to get worried, where was their calming influence? They should have said, we've seen God, the God of Moses. It's not just a man we're following, it's, it's actual God. It's the God, the creator of the universe. We've seen him with our eyes. He's real. He's awesome in greatness. We saw God and returned, and Moses will too. But instead, they held their silence. They saw that there were so many people wanting to go a different way and caved in. They didn't have any strength in themselves to stay the course. And it's the same with so many people who come to church today. They come to Jesus and have a real, incredible, undeniable experience with God. They might even say something like, I'm never going back after what God has done for me. Or I've never felt anything like this before. God is real. I didn't know it before, but God is real. But then we never see them again. Or they come for a little while, or even a a larger while, but then just slip out the back door. They might even be filled with the Holy Ghost, something that is incredible and powerful and should stay with them for the rest of their lives, just like the elders and what they saw on the mount with Moses. But then there's a bit of pressure or opposition from their friends, from their acquaintances, from their family members. They find that it's too hard to stay their course. They're not willing to go against the flow or popular thinking. They start to explain away their real undeniable experience with God. They try to rationalize what they felt, what happened to them. And so they fall away and we never see them again. The Bible talks about these kinds of people in Mark chapter 4. If I could get you to turn there, please. Mark chapter 4 and verse 1. Also, a scripture that won't be foreign to you um, if you've been reading the bread. Mark chapter 4 and verse 1. And he began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. So Jesus was there teaching the people. And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, listen, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some an hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. This is important. He who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him of the parable. 
And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. This is something that God has revealed to His people, something that is hidden to those outside, to those who are casual, to those who won't come close to God. But to those who will follow Him, He reveals it to them. And He said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And then how will you know all parables? The sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And have no root in themselves and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundred. See, the first two types of soil refer to those who are here one day, and gone the next. Those who come, those who listen, those who get an experience but then we never see them again. Those who come for a little bit of time and they just fall away. Some give up before they even get started. That's the first time. Others start walking and try to keep going, but it all becomes too hard. That's the second type. What about the third type of soil? 1 Corinthians 10 and starting from verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and we're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, talking about God delivering his people from Egypt in a mighty and incredible way. And did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So they all had the same experience. They all had God do incredible, mighty, wonderful things for them, they all had the same experience. They all had God show them who he was. But it continues on, But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. How could that be? They all had the same experience. They all had God do mighty things, but they all were, uh, many were overthrown in the wilderness because they didn't respond, because they didn't stay the course. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We just read that. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. 
Wherefore, my dearly beloved, free, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men judge ye what I say. God has told us that he won't let us be tried beyond that which we are able to bear. He won't let anything to happen to us that would cause us to fall away, that would force us to fall away. But we make a choice. That goes for all four types of soil. He won't let us be tried above that which we are able. It all depends on how we respond to the circumstances, to the trials, to the temptations, and to God's dealing with us. He said that he would provide a way of escape with the temptation itself. There will always be a way to choose what's right, to choose to keep following God no matter what the situation no matter what comes against you, there is always a way to choose what is right. Nobody can force you to quit following Jesus. You make that choice all on your own. No matter what the pressure from family members, from friends, from acquaintances, they can never force you to quit. It's not possible for them to force you to quit. No matter what they may threaten to do, they will never own you. You are your own master when it comes to determining your own eternity. You must make the choice to keep following Jesus or the choice to give up because it's all too hard. It's all your choice. There are never any decisions that are forced on you when we talk about following God. You need to choose. You need to decide to stay your course. No matter what happens. No matter what comes against you. Don't let anything get in your way or stop you from following Jesus. This will be the most important choice that you ever make. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't ever think that you've done something too bad or gone too far for God to bring you back. That is a lie from the devil. The children of Israel continually rejected God, went into idolatry, and God had finally had enough of them. He allowed them to go through the wilderness for 40 years. He even caused them to go into exile, bondage, and slavery under the Assyrians and the Babylonians because of their sin. But even while they were in exile, what do you think the attitude of God was to them? Do you think it was complete and utter harsh rejection for all their sins and for their rejection of Him? No. While they were going through this great trial, this great tribulation that was of their own making, what do you think God was saying to them? Isaiah 49 and verse 8. Thus saith the Lord, In an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee. And I will preserve thee, and give thee for a covenant to the people, to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritages, that thou mayest say to the prisoners, Go forth. To them that are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed in the ways, and their pastures shall be in all high places." I'm going to provide for you. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor sun smite them. For he that hath mercy on them shall lead them. Even by the springs of water shall he guide them. And I will make all my mountains away, and my highways shall be exalted. Behold, these shall come from far, and lo, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinem. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth. And break forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. 
Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. God was saying, I will not forget you. You're going through this. This is of your own making. This is a trial. This is a punishment that I caused to happen, but I'm going to bring you back again. I'm going to come and I'll not forget you. Even though a woman may forget her sucking child, I will not forget you. In 40, Isaiah 49, 25, it says, But thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the delivered, terrible shall be delivered, for I will contend with him that contendeth with thee, and I will save thy children. And a little bit further it says, And all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior, and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. This was to a backslidden Israel. This was to a nation that had continually rejected and cursed God and, and thought of Him as nothing, but God was still saying, I still want you. I still care for you. I'll still bring you back to me. In Isaiah 51, 11, it says, Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. This was in complete contrast to what they were going through at that time. I, even I, am he that comforteth you. Who art thou that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die, and the son of man which shall be made as grass? And forgettest the Lord thy maker, that has stretched forth the heavens, and laid the foundations of the earth, and has feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor, as if he were ready to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? He was saying, there's going to be no more fury of the oppressor. They're not going to oppress you anymore. I am going to bring you out. And in Isaiah 52, 12, it says, For you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your re-reward, or go behind you. God is going to go in front of you and go behind you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to take you all the way back to where His promised land was, to where He has promised. In Isaiah 54 and 4, Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed. Neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame. For thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood anymore. You're going to forget about everything that's happened to you because I am going to bring you out in such a way that you are going to just forget about all of that the glory for the glory that's going to be before you. For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. And then it continues on in 54 and 7, For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. And it goes on a bit further in Isaiah 54:10, For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. In Isaiah 54, 17, 
No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. In Isaiah 55 and 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then it continues on in 55.12, For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. There will be a deliverance, O Israel. There will be someone who will come. I will deliver you. I will come and set you free. I still care about you, even though you rejected me, even though you backslid, even though you did all these things against me, you went into idolatry, you completely forsook me, I will still bring you back. I still care for you. I still want to bring you back and nurse you back to health. Time and time again, God sent his messenger Isaiah to tell Israel that he still cared about them that he would still mightily deliver them from their situation. This was to a backslidden nation who had brought their own situation, their own circumstances on themselves. Do you think that God would care any less for you, who he called out of darkness and into his marvelous light? You who are the sons and the daughters of the Most High God, you mean just as much to God as his nation that he called. He called his nation to follow him, to serve him, and he's called you to follow and serve him. You mean just as much as this Israel, this backslidden nation that was in darkness, that was, had rebelled against him. And do you think that your situations and your circumstances don't matter to God? Think again. He cares. He will deliver. He will come. And he will do something mighty and wonderful and awesome in your life and in your situation. But you need to stay the course. God cares about and will deliver all who is called to follow him. We just need to stay our course. Don't deviate to the right hand or to the left. Keep our eyes set on Jesus and the prize of eternal life waiting before us. And Jesus is our role model in these matters. In between, in Isaiah, in between talking about his people still being special and important to him, sandwiched, in between all of the promises of God going to bring his people out from exile, God talks about the one who will be the ultimate savior of all mankind. He who will go through intense trials and tribulations, leading to his death on a cross, being despised and rejected by his own people. In Isaiah 52:13, it says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them they shall see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty 
that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This was a saviour who went to die on the cross for us. He took our sins. He took our shame. He took everything that there was to have, and he laid it all on himself. He, he underwent all of the rejection, all of the smiting, all of the pain, all of the, the blood coming out of his body, and he was not recognizable, barely recognizable as a man. But he did all that for us. Our trials, our tribulations will never compare to what our Savior has gone through for us. We might have gone through some mighty big trials and situations in our lives. We might be going through some impossible situations right now. But our Savior went through so much more than what we'll ever go through here on earth. And he still kept his course. He still kept his course. He is our ultimate role model. He is the ultimate role model. Sisters, I don't care if I could get you to come to the piano, please. What about us? What does God want us to do? Jesus wants us to stay our course. He doesn't want us to give up before he delivers us from our situations. You will never know if you gave up just before there was a mighty deliverance from God with whatever it is you're going through. It doesn't matter. Your situations, your trials, your tribulations, they're not nothing, but God sees them for what they really are. They're just small things that come before us that he has the answer to. He has the control over because he will guide our paths. He will lead us in the way of righteousness. It may not always be the way that we think he will deliver us. We've got ways that we think, well, for God to do something in this situation, he'll have to do this. He'll have to do that. But God, sometimes God delivers us from a completely different source or a completely different way. It's not too difficult for him to do. It's not too difficult for him to deliver, to lift us up out of the pit of despair and bondage and, and just hopelessness that we're in. There's never any trial or pressure enough to force us to quit following Jesus. God wants us to make our minds up now. Will we follow him no matter what? Will we follow him no matter what happens? You see, it's too late to make up your minds when the situations and the trials and the tribulations come upon you. You need to make your mind up now. You have to say, no matter what happens, I'm still going to follow Jesus. Because when you're in the situation, when you're going through the storm, that's when you don't know what way is up. You don't know which way it's going. If you haven't made that commitment beforehand, then it's easy just to go away. Just to say, this is too hard. I don't know what's happening. 
nothing's going to save me from this situation. But if you've made your mind up before, if you have set your mind on the prize, if you have set your mind on getting to glory, if you have set your mind on following Jesus and stay your course, then He will deliver you. He will bring you out of that situation. The storm will be behind you. The, the waves will be behind you. Everything that we feared will be like nothing. We won't even remember it, just like God was saying to Israel. You won't remember what happened to you because of my deliverance, because of the mighty blessings, and because of the mighty hand that I have led you out. You won't remember that bondage. You won't remember what happened. But you need to stay your course. You need to keep going no matter what happens. No matter what horrible situation or circumstances in front of us, will we still make the choice to follow Jesus? We need to choose now. We may not be going through a trial right now. Everything might be rosy. Everything might be wonderful. You might be walking on cloud nine or cloud 11 or however high you want to go. But when one trial comes up, when a situation comes up that we don't know how to deal with, we need to have made that choice already. We need to have said, God, I'm going to follow you no matter what. I'm going to follow you no matter what happens to me, no matter what happens to my friends, no matter what happens to my family. I'm still going to follow you. I'm still going to serve you. I'm still going to stay my course. Don't leave anything to chance. And don't leave it up to your feelings either. You'll feel differently when you're going through the trial. When you're going through that situation, your feelings are not going to guide you in the right direction. It's your commitment. It's the course that you've set. It's staying that course that will get you through to the end. So won't you make a commitment today? Won't you make a commitment right now? It needs to happen right now. That will affect the rest of your life.